sometimes he had interruptive behaviors, which were, you know, standing on tables, putting food in his hair sometimes. And I can only imagine what this last one would, how this would drive um, a parent crazy, which he used to put keys, his parents' keys down the drains in his house. What is autism? What is it like to have autism or raise a child who has autism? Heaven Spencer, owner and director of Open Seas Learning Academy, joins the podcast and helps provide us with some insight. So, let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive With every So what was really the driving factor behind the creation of the Academy? So actually, um, during COVID, um, I worked as an RBT with a bunch of kids who had special needs, obviously, and they were having so much trouble, like trying to do online classes and things that it just became obvious it wasn't working out. So a group of my friends and I who all worked in ABA got together and we were like, you know what, we're just going to take all the kids to the park and do like a homeschool program as like a separate thing from ABA and try and make that work out. And so we had found a teacher that was going to work with us and work with the kids. And um, it just so happened that like last minute as we were getting ready to set up, because you know, obviously here in Florida, it's 110 degrees today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it August then. So it's 110 degrees. Yeah, geez. And uh, luckily last minute, one of the pastors at one of the local churches was like, hey, I have a whole children's wing. Would you guys like to use that? And so we were like, hey. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it kind of worked out for us there in the end. Um, we had a place to go. We, Like I said, we had the teacher hired on and stuff. That was really what started. It was COVID and just having no place for the kids to go and learn. And, you know, it's just so hard for any kid, but especially special needs kids to just stare at a computer screen for something they're not interested in. Oh, yeah. That's got to be like... Um... <laughs> like to, almost like a Chinese torture method for them to be staring at the screen all day. Exactly. And then it seemed like everything was kind of geared, like not really for them. Yeah. Just so, geared like, to get for, things done. I worked with one little boy who like doesn't do any writing. He really was nonverbal and things like that. And like he was supposed to record a video about his science lesson. And I was like, huh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> No, and th and that's asking a lot already just for um for kids in general, especially if they're not used to being on camera, let alone a special needs child having to record themselves taking that's a huge leap. I mean, I've been doing this podcast for like a year and a half already, and every time I get on camera, there are some little like pins and needles, little butterflies. I can only imagine the very first time doing that, especially at a young age. It's gotta be um a bit of an experience. Exactly. I think it was hard for a lot of the kids, you know, and I had um, the one little girl that I worked with, her teacher was really great and she was really interactive with the kids and she would like stay on the whole school day, but that wasn't what was typical. And it was still hard for her because it was still sitting in front of a computer screen. There was nobody to redirect her back yeah. except her parents. 
you know, parents are trying to work and do other things. And so it was, it was really hard for all of the kids and I'm sure for all of the teachers too, because you know, how do you keep a bunch of special needs kids engaged for six and a half, seven hours a day and yeah. teach to all of the kids? Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be tough. What what uh what types of special needs specifically uh do a lot of the children have, or is it kind of just spread out? So mostly, what we have now are kids with autism and then like behavioral issues. Um, so um, my son actually was diagnosed with autism when he was three, and so that's kind of what got me on into the field. Your son? Um, and yes, okay. yeah. Actually, when he was diagnosed, we started ABA like right off the bat. And, um, what is ABA exactly? Applied uh, behavior analysis. Okay. And you said your son was diagnosed at three with autism. Yeah, that's just the first. That, that's really early, I would say, to um for for a diagnosis because I feel like typically it's uh like I'd say push into like ten years old. I almost want to say right. Yep. Well, you know, I didn't realize it at the time because it was first time mom, of course. Yeah. Um. Darian was really different. That's my son's name. He was really different from the time he was born. When he was born and they first, you know, first had him, they went to give him his bath. And like he completely pushed up and was looking back over his shoulder at the nurse when she was trying to give him a bath. And she was like, I've never seen a brand new baby do that before. Like almost like aware of something, right? Like, right. I think I really think now looking back that he didn't like, first of all, he didn't like to lay on his stomach and she was trying to wash his back. But second of all, the wash rag was really rough. And we came to pick up really quickly that he had a lot of sensory issues. Mm. So at five days old, he rolled over at the pediatrician's office. My pediatrician is like, I've never seen a baby do that. And I'm like, oh, he's just really strong, really smart, really aware of what's going on. But it didn't occur to me that that made him different, that these were things I should be looking out for in the negative. And so he started walk. He never crawled. He started walking. He never like crawled. He never crawled. He started walking at like seven months old and he stopped talking. Mm. He had been putting together like three word sentences at that point and he just stopped. Wow. And so um, we started him in speech therapy like around 12 months old. And then after speech, they quickly wanted to put him into occupational therapy, which is where they work on like sensory issues. Yeah. Um, fine motor skills, those kinds of balance issues and things. From there, he ended up in physical therapy because of the way he walked. Because he walked um, heel, he walked toe heel instead of heel toe. Oh, wow. Okay. Completely weird. Um, and so he ended up in physical therapy too. And they started suggesting that we have him evaluated. Like pretty much pretty early, like around, he was jumping, I guess, at like eight months, nine months too. And that was like. Wow. Weird, right? Babies don't do that. Yeah, and you don't know any better because you're a first-time parent. So you have nothing to compare right. it to. So I'm thinking he's just super advanced, and I don't realize that these are signs of a bigger issue. Yeah. And so, like, when somebody started saying autism, like, I, I'm one of those people, like, I threw myself fully into it, and I'm like, okay, let's look at this. Let's see what this means, what we can do, how we can treat this, how we, what we can do to make his life better. Yeah. And so we started it right away. Now my son is 13. You People say all the time, they're like, are you sure he has autism? And I'm like, yes, I know he has autism. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> like, we, I know damn well he's got autism. Yeah. <laughs> but we did so much therapy. He was, like I said, he was in therapy 
for a while, he did almost 50 hours a week of therapy. Wow. In addition to half day of preschool um, between ABA, OTPT speech. So like it was a lot. It's intense. And it's probably a good thing that you started early, like at age three, because yeah. then you're just pushing everything back. If you don't. Yeah. Like I said, we started speech therapy like around 12 months. So we started super early. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the guy. Do you, have you ever heard of Donald triplet before he is, uh, was case number one for autism actually back okay. in, uh, 1938, he actually just died two weeks ago of cancer, unfortunately, but he was a patient number one for autism. Um, born in Mississippi in 1933 and actually was diagnosed five years later. So at five years old, he actually was um, diagnosed with it. Very first patient to ever be diagnosed with it. And if that really goes to show us really uh, how recent the microscope on autism is. I mean, we're less than 100 yeah. years of actually knowing that it exists and beginning to study it a little bit. And a lot of interesting things, a lot of overlap too, actually, with what you just described with your son and, and Donald's uh, experience growing up, because he was very introverted when he was young. And he was, his parents noted that he was just different, you know, different from all the other kids and how they were growing up. And then some, sometimes like, oh, wow, he's really advanced. But then other times, like, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Either like socially didn't fit in and socially awkward. And then that made things, um, hindered progress and you know an example of that by the age of two he could recite the entire 23rd psalm in the old testament which is 118 words at age <laughs> two that which is yep. insane um but he also at the same time displayed echolalia you know which is for people just hearing that for the first time it's you know if you're if your mom asks you hey um what do you want for dinner the son responding with hey what do you want for dinner and then yeah. saying like, and then even answering after, hey, what do you want for dinner? Um, well, what can we have for dinner? But over and over and over again. And, you know, and then sometimes having his, sometimes he had interruptive behaviors, which were, you know, standing on tables, putting food in his hair sometimes. And I can only imagine what this last one would, how this would drive um, a parent crazy, which he used to put keys, his parents' keys down the drains in his house um which that would just be insane you're looking for your keys because you finally have to get out of the house and they're down the drain you know and the thing is he had he had uh an obsessive issue growing up with with circles so like sometimes when he would walk into a um a place he would like go to the pots and pans and spin them in circles so that's maybe that's maybe something behind what caused him to put keys down the drain um you know, but just a, a lot of different things like that. And then th that brings up really to me when I, when I envision like a child putting keys down a drain, I can only imagine what is going on in that parent's mind. Cause being a parent is crazy enough to be, be, begin with, but then having to experience those, those um, scenarios and experiences with your, their child is gotta be so overwhelming. And I'd love to kind of, if you have any insight into, into what it is from the, the parent's point of view um with with raising yeah. an, an autistic child and and during dealing with the behaviors and also the the children that the children's parents who you also help teach so I, i've worked with a lot of parents i had a lot of parents say that you know um they went through a big grieving process and stuff when their child was diagnosed and you know I, my husband and i we didn't have that i think because we never really wanted kids he was kind of a surprise baby okay <laughs> 
I, I, you know, people are like, but they're, you know, this kid's not what I expected them to be. And so I, I went through a whole grieving process and things. And they're like, you know, how did you feel with that? And I'm like, I never really did that, but I never really expected to have children. So I didn't have these big expectations of all of these things that my son was going to do and how it was going to work for him. So maybe that kind of just gave us like the blank slate. So I think I handled it better than some other people. I was in denial for a while too, though. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't. Um, I believed it was just like sensory sensory processing disorder for a long time. Yeah. Because my son was very, not always like typical kids with autism. He was always very social. He always wanted to engage with others, just Mm. not in appropriate ways because he didn't speak. He couldn't communicate. So a lot of times he would get aggressive in things with other kids because he didn't know how to handle that they didn't understand what he wanted. Um, So I've seen that kind of both ways now um, with kids. You know, a lot of the kids that I work with and things, they don't want to have anything to do with anybody. I've worked with one little girl for years and she'll just say, leave me alone. Mm. (laughs) She says that a lot and she'll kind of, um, she's here with us now and she likes to go hang out like in the hall and stuff when she gets breaks and things because she just doesn't want to be around the other kids. Yeah. Um, So I kind of see both of those sides of it. My brother also was never officially diagnosed, but probably should have been. But we lived in nowhere, Virginia. I'm from Colonial Beach, Virginia, which nobody knows what that is. (laughs) And so like when he was little, they would just say, oh, he's bad. He's just really bad. Yeah, probably. I could see that. And so like my mom didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, he's 30 now. He just turned 30. And she didn't, you know, she didn't know what to do. She didn't know that, you know, Autism wasn't really a thing back then. (laughs) It wasn't something that a lot of people were diagnosed with, especially, you know, kids like him, because he probably should have been diagnosed as Asperger's back then. um, Because, you know, he could read the whole dinosaur book to you at two years old. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's the thing too. Like when people, uh, uh, cause I've been reading up on autism a lot. It's very interesting. A lot of, a lot of what we call psychological disorders. And I, I, I love the videos that I watch and the books I read that like refer to it as being um, part of neurodiversity than it is like disabled. Cause I see, I see a lot of times people um, even I was watching an interview on uh, somebody who has autism and he started the video with the, the interview saying he has a disability. And I was like, my heart ached because I was like, that guy might be able to read like, 10 times as quick as I can, or he might be able to memorize something that would take me months to memorize. And, you know, and he's calling himself disabled. And I I was like, he is better than me at at probably a lot of things. And then vice versa, obviously, for sure. But that word disabled, like really just hit me because I was like, I, I, I love like, thinking of things as like neuro being neurodiverse than actually like disabled, because there are a lot of disabilities out there, there really are. But um that I mean, when I uh, autistic kids, especially and and as they go older, I mean, sometimes they're like superhuman in things, yes. you know. We and we wouldn't call Superman, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't call him disabled at all. <laughs> so I guess I, I think that's my thing too. Is like I don't like to look at it that way. So like with my son, I know um, he had a really good friend who used to live down the road from us, and he came and knocked on the door one day. And he was just in one of his moods and didn't want to be bothered. And he just, the kid was like, hey, do you want to come out and play? And my son is like, no, and just slammed the door in his face. Mm. And so I I opened the door back and I was like, hey, give us just one minute. So I took him to his bedroom and I'm like, look, I know you've heard us all talk about how you have autism. And he has, you know, several other diagnoses, but they're all psychological issues. 
I was like, you know, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that you get a pass. That means that you have to work twice as hard as the next person to make friends. I love that. And you have to put in the effort. Yeah. And so he still says, he's like, I know I have to work on me, mom. And I'm like, that's right. I said, other people have to learn to be accepting and things and they have to give you time and be patient with you. I said, but you have to put in the effort too. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> I, I love that type of parenting. Cause it's like that tough love, you know, rather than that's like exactly- the, the coddling. And it reminds me of the um, theory, uh, Charles Cooley, I think the self looking glass theory that states that basically you see yourself as the way society sees you and the way society treats you. So it's like, you're looking in the mirror and that mirror is society and you're looking at yourself the way society views you. So when we, you know, like if you were to go in there and just say, yeah, yeah, no, I understand you have, uh, you have autism. It's okay. Blah, blah. Like, but, but you went in there and treated him normally and treated him just like everybody else was like, no, 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 you do have to work harder. And that is sometimes when we get into to trouble, sometimes we, we, with labels and, and treating people differently a lot of times because then they then they might feel that they're almost like it's okay to, right. to then do those types of things which right. is hindering i guess progress to say right. and he wanted friends i mean he wanted to make friends this was a kid that he liked to hang out with and things and i mean you know if you do that every time he comes to play with you he's not going to keep coming back to play yeah because people aren't going to want to hang out with you if you just slam the door in their face no no and- like he's like okay i'm like think about how you'd feel if you went to his house and he just said no and slammed the door yeah i'm like would you go back to hang out with him again and he's like no probably not and i'm like well that's how he feels too yeah 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 <laughs> it's funny it's funny how they uh um how people because uh um kids that don't have autism are are sometimes do that too <laughs> I, yeah. and I talked to way around here you know if you're if you can comprehend and you can understand how somebody else feels then sometimes that's the best way to look at things because if you can't take it from somebody else's perspective then it's harder to understand people's feelings yeah and do you know if there's any type of research or anything that like can say like where autism truly begins or is there like a um like what exactly goes on in the brain or is it genetic based um is it environmentally based is there anything that uh you can kind of enlighten us on there so i think it kind of there's a lot of theories and things i know some people there's a say ton a ton um i've heard people say from the immunizations um mm. and i i'll tell you i have you know a lot you know there's a lot of people that say no 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 but i do know that my cousin's little boy right after he got the mmr vaccine went downhill within a matter of a week he really? went from talking functioning normally making eye contact to nothing how old was he when he got it 18 months which is oh, standard wow. yeah, yeah, yeah um but then there's like darian and i knew he was different from the beginning and he was never vaccinated yeah um i i, I think maybe it's a combination of everything you know now they're relating it to parents age i wasn't terribly old i was 24 when i had my son um, my husband was 30 so neither one of us were exactly old yeah. uh, parents being overweight i was overweight um they say that running a fever during pregnancy can cause autism i did have a little bit of a like a flu and ran a little fever for a little while i don't yeah. know i again i didn't plan for my son and i was on birth control for a little while when i first was pregnant because mm-hmm. i didn't realize i don't know if that happened 
had something to do with it. I know now there are all these lawsuits with Tylenol and I had terrible migraines and I took a bunch of Tylenol because they told me that was the only thing safe to take. Yeah. Uh, now there's baby food they're saying may have something to do with it. I, I, I think right now nobody really knows the answers. Well, the the one um, the one theory that st- that made sense to me a little bit was the one of like what you said the age factor of the father, because uh, I've I've read on that for like even back in college I remember reading on that and then I I looked at the world and it started to make sense a little bit when I saw like even um, uh, this took precedent in 2016. Uh, I I forget Donald Trump's like youngest son's name, but he had him when he was like 65 or 70. And everyone, everyone, I remember when that, that son was like on display at the uh, election time, like you could tell he just was like a little bit out of it, a little bit like uncomfortable. I would say uncomfortable than anything. And uh, that, that makes sense a, a little bit like where the father's just, you know, I'd say over like the age, like 55 and having kids. And there's like, I've, I've read a little bit of a pattern with that. Um, I, I, I've read that there's, you know, obviously like a ton of theories, like you had said, I read something that was super interesting, not to the cause of it, but the, I guess like maybe halfway to the cause where the, um, neurologically the striatum they're saying has a lot to do with it. That's a, the part of your brain that receives information involving motory and sensory information. And then the stratum then tries to use that information to then drive action and behavior. And which would make sense if, um, there is some type of dysfunction in the stratum, it could explain the reasoning behind autism, because then that would say it would easily say that some behaviors that people with autistic um, with autism experience would be trouble with sensory and motor information, you know? So right. there's like a little bit of a uh, explanation on that, but not like, you know, it's just like, if there's something there, well, then, then you have to get to, well, what's causing, what's, what's causing that then, you know what I'm saying? So there, there it's about, I say 90 years into the journey and really probably only, only, Say that you, you gotta you have to think like the first 30 to 40 years of it, like they were trying to fight for it to be taken seriously in the medical community. Right. So you're you're probably realistically like maybe 40 years of it being serious. I think and the 70s really, they considered they didn't diagnose as autism. It was considered um why can't I think of it now? I, I had it earlier, now I can't think. Um childhood schizophrenia. Mm, mm. was what they were labeled as like back in the 50s and 60s they were labeled as having childhood schizophrenia which is a totally different diagnosis yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yep not that they can't go hand in hand but it's a different idea it's a different spectrum it's a different (laughs) it's a different form of learning yeah and it's different for when a child comes to you and somebody says this is this is the the child you absolutely would tread differently So it's, it's, it's kind of weird to me now to think about that. I mean, I know my, my father actually was diagnosed with childhood schizophrenia. So now I'm like, Hmm, I wonder, did he like have those same kind of issues like my son has? I know he was epileptic and things like that. And so neurological disorders run in my family. Um, I have, like I said, the cousin, my cousin has a son with autism. Um, my one aunt has a little boy um, who probably 
should be diagnosed with autism, but they yeah. still live in nowhere, Virginia, and they're having trouble getting that. But I mean, so there is a little of that in my family, but I don't know. I don't well, know I where it pops from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I would have to say at least like probably genetically, especially if it if if when you had said uh, you know your your son was even at the pediatrician so young and you could tell he was different. Like at that point, what environmental factors could could have played a role? Really, you know, I mean, all all you can really factor in is that first year, the um, pregnancy, the, the the pregnancy, and then and yeah. then and genes, right, right, right. You know, and like he ended up with a whole slew of neurological diagnosis. You know, they ended up diagnosing him with um, cyclic vomiting syndrome, with um, uh, which turns to migraines as they get older. And what is that? With, what is that exactly? It's um, basically where he will throw up for long periods of time, like oh, wow. weeks on end, um, and then it goes away like nothing ever happened. He's not really sick or anything. Um, like certain environmental factors can play into that, but it's yeah. neurological in nature. And then now that he's hit puberty and things, it's becoming migraines. Um, but even from the time he was a baby, like we always laughed because he could, he would find my husband, no matter who was holding him, what was going on. My husband could be across the room and he would projectile vomit at my husband wow. every time. Oh, <laughs> man. It was like, let the shoe and not me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so he, got to, he would take, he would pack extra clothes in the car and stuff. And wherever we would go, he would just take him and the kid and change them both. <laughs> well, yeah, I can only imagine what that would be like in the car. Holy Wow. Oh, yes, we yeah. had we've had the car covered more than one time, um, you know, but he was diagnosed with OCD, um, yeah. obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, he had to have like all the doors closed for a long time. He was real into Thomas when he was little Thomas the train. Yeah. And like tracks had to be configured the way they were supposed to be. You had to take certain paths to where he wanted to go or he would know that you were going the wrong way. And he would be like, you know, even when he couldn't talk, he would he would yell and point. Yeah. And I was like, oh. That's a yeah, form of communication. I mean, a lot of times too, it's it's nonverbal, a lot of the types of form of communication yep. too, which is very important always, to pick up on. He always was good about communicating. It was just never with verbal words. I mean, now that he's older, obviously he does, but he didn't start talking until he was almost four. Um yeah. so it was real late for him. Um, but you know, he would, you know, point, he would always gesture towards things, yeah. you know, to try and communicate. But he was diagnosed with ADHD and well, it's, it's so hard to uh, actually get the right diagnosis from the start because like with neurological um, differences, because, you know, it's not like a broken arm in mean, a broken arm. Like you walk into any, you know, graduate in uh, medical school, you know, and uh, who's studying and, and yeah, it's a broken arm, you know, but the brain is so hard because there's so much to it. So complex and you can't see it. You're just going right. off of like just watching behavior, which guess what? When when everyone's in front of someone, we behave differently than we would by ourselves. So you will never truly get like a um, unless you have a camera, you know, that you put in someone's room without them knowing. Then you can kind of see exactly how they are by themselves, which actually might be um, interesting to do with 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 children who we might think are uh, um, you know, we're unsure maybe where they fall on the spectrum. Um, because I remember being, being younger. And as soon as I was brought to a doctor's office, I completely turtle shelled up and I was not my, not my complete self. And, you know, you're just trying to get through it because it's at an appointment, but you're not, you know, and, and they're, if they're trying to pick up, uh, symptoms of you right then and there, it's going to be very, very difficult to do. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I've had friends, and especially, you know, when they do it through the school district, because the school district does like an hour appointment. Yeah. And they look at these kids for that hour. And if autism is not educationally relevant, then they won't even do that. And that's mm. usually what everybody wants is the autism diagnosis done through the school district for the kids to get any kind of services through the school district system. Yeah. And it's hard to get, especially for higher functioning kids. Yeah. And so they'll just say, well, they're fine educationally. Yeah. yeah, yeah but they're yeah. not getting the help they need socially, emotionally. You know, we have to treat a whole kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a very good point. You do have to treat the whole kid because that's that's their life. You know, that's what you're 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 trying to do. You're not just trying to fix what then is relevant to what your exact field is. You know, they're there for the entirety. Um, right. What are some uh, what are some tips and things that you've learned through through doing this and, and with the kids that you work with and, and even your son that you could pass down with uh, being someone who is, what would you say is the best methods of working with a child that does have some sort of learning specialty uh, that you, any advice or anything you would you would give to someone? First of all, I would say if you have a kid or somebody who you're close with that has autism, I would recommend everybody to take the registered behavior tech training. I mean, it's a lot of places, well, I won't say a lot of places, but um, some places do offer it for free online. I think that is the most beneficial thing anybody can do because it starts breaking down like the reasons that kids have behaviors. Mm -hmm. So um, it's usually tangibles, attention, um, which tangibles are things you can touch, obviously, but food, any of that kind of stuff. Attention, escape, and sensory issues. Um, and if the first three are super easy, usually you can find a quick solution to fix any of those kinds of behaviors. Yeah. You know, for attention, you usually just have to kind of ignore it. For escape, you just have to make sure they follow through with the demands. For tangibles, you know, you have to make them finish up whatever they're doing before they get what they want. Um, and the RBT program is great for showing parents and anybody really, you know, how the best ways to handle those kinds of situations are. And I highly recommend that to everybody. <laughs> okay. No, it's smart. I mean, especially if you're just working with kids and regardless, I mean, really it, you could be the one, if, if you're like a teacher's aide or something like that, you could really benefit on just noticing something. You can use it with your spouse, with your friends, with your colleagues at work. It works for everybody. And so it's really a great thing. It's an important thing for everybody to know. Helps everybody to handle each other and work in a better way, I feel like. Yeah, that's uh that's a good point actually, because it just broadens your horizons and your knowledge on human behavior at the minimum, right? Yeah, so. I was actually working retail when I first went and took my class. And so I was working retail management and all of my employees were like, you know, they're like, every time we do something, you're like congratulating us and you're like telling us how awesome we are. Yeah. They're like, we don't have to change, but we really like it. And I'm yeah. like, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I love that. That's uh that's a good point. I uh, and Open Seas Learning Academy. Absolutely love that. Um you you run this amazing academy. How can people find you if uh somebody wants to just reach out, maybe run by a couple of questions, maybe look at your type of teaching material or something you guys do, they can get some help um or become part of the academy. How can people find you guys? Open Seas L A S E A S or my number is 772-202-2168. 
Okay, so OpenSea's LA, and that means Learning Academy, not Los Angeles yeah. for everybody. No, no, we're not in Los Angeles, <laughs> we're not in Louisiana, we're yeah. here in Florida. It was just a shorter name, so everybody would have to type out all of Learning Academy. No. <laughs> No, that uh, that is perfect. I love everything that you do, you guys do over there. It's um, it's great helping a a demographic of people that really just need need some um, some TLC, right? Yep, and we try and do it all around here. We do a summer camp. We do a regular learning program. So we have um, you know, during the regular school year, we do um, we call it private part time tutoring. That's a whole other story, but we run a yep. full day program just like a school. Um, so we're here all the time. And anytime the kids have days off from school, we usually go do fun trips. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> that, uh, that sounds great. Heaven. I appreciate you, uh, coming on the podcast today and I look forward to relinking up down the road, seeing how you guys are doing and, um, and touching base again to see, uh, to see how things have been. Yes, sir. I look forward to talking to you again then. All right. Thank you, Heaven. Every star.